edify each and every one of us in understanding what the Bible teaches about salvation. It's my great honor today to bring to this pulpit a man who is no stranger to Life Church, a great, great minister of the gospel, a favorite to many of you that are here today. Brother Luami Diaz is going to come deliver the word of the Lord. Can we receive the man of God right now? Praise God. Bless you, man. Yes, sir. Praise the Lord, everybody. And clap your hands unto the Lord. Amen. God is so good. So good. I'm so excited to be here uh, once again in the house of the Lord uh, and to bless the Lord with all of you. I want to thank Pastor, and I always say this, but uh, more than ever today after I saw uh, his daughter singing up here tonight, um, I want to thank Pastor and my son's future father-in-law. There is full disclosure. I told him he's going to need a gun, uh, you know, in about three years at youth camps all over this nation. Uh, but I said, full disclosure now, I am personally sending my son after your daughter. I am not. So I'm going to let you know now. Um, so get over the fact that we're black. Just get over that now. <laughs> Uh, Matthew chapter 6, verse 25, I'm going to read verse 25 through verse 34. Matthew chapter 6, verse 25 through verse um, 34. The Bible reads as so. In the name of Jesus Christ, I'm reading out of the New King James Version. I'm backslidden. Therefore, I say to you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air, for they neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns. Yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by worrying, can add one cubit to his stature? So why do you worry about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. And yet I say to you that even... Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. Now if God so clothes the grass of the field which today is and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore do not worry, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For after all these things the Gentiles seek. For your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things shall be added to you. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow. 
for tomorrow will worry about its own things. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. So this uh, afternoon, I'd like to speak to you on a simple subject. Just do not worry. If I could, um, if I could uh, give a subtitle of some sort, I would say Christ's cure for anxiety. Christ's cure for anxiety, and uh, and that's what I want to speak to you on here today. Would you help me pray that the Lord would be glorified through His Word? And that you would receive a trust and a comfort from heaven and that you may agree with this word and that he may bring peace to your life through it. Father, I pray, O oh God, you know our hearts are anxious. You know that our hearts sometimes are filled with worry and concern for the cares of this life. But I pray that through your word, O oh God, you would heal those who are hurting and those, O oh Lord, who are seeking after a, some, some sort of peace in this natural realm, let them know, let them know that there is hope. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. And God bless you all. You may be seated in the house of the Lord. When I read through this text... I find that Jesus pleaded with his disciples, and he did it three times, and he said, do not worry. Do not worry. Another version says, do not be anxious. Don't be anxious. In verse 25, he says, do not worry about your life. And then in verse 31, he says, do not worry, saying, what shall you eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? And then in verse 34, he says, do not worry about tomorrow. Now there's something that we must understand here. When Jesus repeats himself multiple times, more than likely it's because he is emphasizing a point. The Jews didn't use exclamation points as we do today and uh, uh, some of us overdo today. But the Jews did not use exclamation points. Uh, the way they emphasized a point was through repetition. They would repeat themselves, you know. Um, and so, in essence, what Jesus was telling his disciples was, this point is very, very important. I need you to pay attention to what I'm going to tell you next. And that's what he was saying. He repeats himself. And then he not only says the words, do not worry or do not be anxious, but he also expresses and illustrates the same point in different anecdotes, through different anecdotes and different illustrations. Why is this topic so important to Jesus? And why does he want his disciples to take this topic so seriously? Why does he bring so uh, much attention to this passage? It would seem as though Jesus understands that as humans, we are predisposed to anxiety. As human beings, we are predisposed to worry and panic because we are humans who have absolutely no access to our future. We don't know what tomorrow will bring. And so we'll always struggle with anxiety, anxiety to know that everything is going to be all right. 
And Jesus knew that we would worry about our lives and our health and our jobs and our education and our basic needs and our businesses and relationships and children and so many more things that uh, we ought to worry about in this natural realm. And then he says, in essence, it's all normal. By virtue of the fact that I have to emphasize this, I am giving credence to the thought that this is a normal thing in this world. And perhaps even today, many of you have come to service battling the spirit of worry and panic and anxiety, anxiety over the raising of your children or anxiety over a conflictive marriage, or a job that is causing much stress, or you're worried about a court appearance, or mounting debt, or the stress of having to provide for your family, or a medical report that wasn't, uh, wasn't too, uh, too good of a medical report. And so uh, you're, you're anxious, and perhaps you're single, you're a single adult in this place, and you are also worried. You're, 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 you're anxious about finding a romantic partner in this world so as to keep yourself from enrolling in the Catholic convent for nuns. You are, you are worried and anxious. Jesus understands that these worries are normal in us, so he reminds his disciples, and he does it repeatedly. He says, do not be anxious. Do not worry. And yet my question is, why not, Jesus? You know that these are legitimate concerns in my life. There had better be some good reason for why I should not feel stressed. And uh, Jesus says, well, I'm glad you asked. Why not? Because I've got some answers. I've got, I've got many answers that I'm going to give you right in this text. Jesus is going to give you a prescription to cure your anxiety. You know what I'm going to do? What I'm basically going to do here today, I am going to give you, I'm going to save you hundreds of dollars. You don't have to go to the shrink. Just, just send your payments to Loami Diaz International Ministries. And it'll come back to you. Good measure. Press down. Shaking together. This is the first reason, Jesus says, that you should, you, you, you know, you should not worry. He says the reason why is because you are a spiritual and an eternal being, and not merely a material and natural being. Well, wh- wh- where do I see that? Uh, verse 25, this is where he says, it. he says, therefore I say to you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat, or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. And here is where I see it. This is the question he asked. He says, is not life more than food or the body more than clothing? Do you realize what Jesus was saying here? What he's saying, what he's telling his disciples is, yes, in order to live in this material world, you need food. And yes, in this material world, in this physical realm, you need clothing. Clothing, unless you're a skinny dipper or a streaker, you need clothing. 
However, Jesus continues and he says, but you're not just subjected to this spiritual or to this material and this physical realm. You're not just limited to this world that you can see. And there is more to you like transformers that meets the eye. That's what he is saying. Life is more than food and the body is more than clothing. You're not just subjected to this material and physical realm. In other words, what he was saying is you're not just merely a physical being. That's not even the most important aspect of you. You are first and foremost a spiritual being and we are spiritual eternal beings. And when your life is characterized by anxiety in this natural world, then all you're doing is expressing how much importance you are giving to this fleeting and passing and temporary world. This world shall pass away and the things of this world shall also pass away and things have your utmost care. When you are anxious, then you are revealing that things have your utmost care. It is things that you value above everything else. You value things and the things of this world more than what an eternal soul should. You are valuing things and possession and money and cribs and whips and Jesus says these are the things that you ought not value more than the things a spiritual soul should. I'm the fundamental defense against anxiety according to Jesus is your immortality. The fact that this mortal shall put on immortality and this corruptible shall put on incorruption that should be the very fundamental defense against your anxiety. Yes, go ahead and eat. And yes, go ahead and put clothes on. But know that life is more than food. And the body is more than clothing. Jesus came not just to give you life, but to give you life everlasting. That's what he came to do. And that's why he said, he that believeth in me shall never pass away. You are not going to pass away. This life, this world, it is not your home. You are a pilgrim and a stranger in this land. Your citizenship is in heaven. Therefore, do not worry about things God that's the fundamental defense against your anxiety no wonder that's what Jesus also said in Luke chapter 12 he said I say to you my friends do not worry do not be afraid of those who can kill the body and after that they have no more that they can do they can kill your body but so what your body is just temporary and fleeting in 80 70 60 50 40 90 years your body is going to be gone and then what you'll still have an eternity that you need to live and so he says don't worry about those who can kill the body and then they can't do anything else but i'll show you whom you should fear fear him who has the power after you have been killed to cast you into hell yes i say to you fear him in other words there is something that's more important than the body it is your soul. It is your spirit. There's something more important than things. Things 
things should not have your utmost care. Your spiritual being should be a priority. Your body being killed is of less importance than your spiritual men being damned to hell. No wonder some of the first martyrs, when they were being decapitated for Christ's name's sake, they would cry out as they were being killed for their Christianity. They would say, you can kill us, but you can't harm us. Amen. You can kill us, but you can't harm us. Do you know why? Because they understood that not even death can separate separate you from the love of Jesus Christ. Death could not do it. Sword could not do it. Pestilence that leads to death could not do it. Do you know why? Because this is not the all of the all. This is not the cream of the cream. Ah, the troubles of this present world are not able to be compared to the glory that shall be revealed in us. And so what Jesus is saying is, when anxiety comes your way, look at anxiety and say these are temporary things these are fleeting things i can't take my car with me i can't take my house with me i can't take my money with me i'm gonna worry about things that have eternal eternal value my God, in 10,000 years, 10,000 years from now, you're not going to be worried about, look what they wrote about me on Facebook. And look what she said about me on Twitter. Look at that picture. I told her not to tag me in it, but she still tagged. I'm looking all ratchet, but she tagged me in the picture anyway. You're not going to be thinking about whether you can find a man or not. You're not going to be thinking about why isn't Botox working on my wrinkles. You're not going to be thinking about these things and so Jesus says don't worry about things that are fleeting and temporary and things you can't take worry about things that have eternal value that should kill your anxiety right there and yet he's not done he's got about three more hours worth of uh, a prescription. Here we go. Number two, he says, but there's another reason why you shouldn't worry. It's because I am a bird feeder. Oh, what does that mean? What, that you're a bird feeder? Yeah, yeah. he says, I, I care for birds. Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly father feeds them. And then this is, this is very important. He says, are you not of more value than they? Now that, there's an inference, a powerful inference that we should all take from that verse. And that is this, that God is so in control of the universe and of all of its daily activities that it can be said of him that he feeds even the birds, the most mundane of all things. He feeds birds. In other words, every worm, every insect, every leftover French fry, every everything, every you know that carne asada taco. <laughs> y'all, y'all know how you do it out in SoCal. Every single thing that you left over, he said, um, I use it 
to take care of their nutrition. Now, you don't want to feed them French fries, but you know what I'm saying. I, you know, he said, I use it to take care of their nutrition. That's a powerful thought, that God feeds the birds. And Jesus' point is very simple. He's saying, if God can feed animals, animals who have an involuntary relationship with him, with their master, that is, by virtue of their existence, they have to serve their God. They have have no option in the case you know you, you don't you don't hear a bear say i will not serve the lord today you know they they have no option in the matter they have to serve him and yet he says i feed people or animals who have involuntary relationships with me jesus said how much more will i feed you who have a choice You could have been anywhere this morning. You could have made up your mind that this weekend you were going to turn up and never come down from the turn up and do whatever you had. But Jesus said, listen, you made up in your mind that as for you and your house, you're going to serve the Lord. And so he said, how much more will I not feed you who have a voluntary relationship with me? You've got options, baby. You live in L.A. You could have the time of your life, but you've made up in your mind that only what you do for Christ will last and that you will serve the Lord with your heart and body and mind and soul. And he says, listen, if I feed birds who chirp away and sing to me involuntarily, how much more will I feed Life Church who comes? God, you've been sick and yet you still come. You crawled into the house of God today. You lifted up your hands even though you didn't feel. He said, how much more will I feed a life church who has a voluntary relationship with their master? I will feed you. And so you should not worry. God, when anxiety starts mounting up in your life, Jesus said, open up the windows of your house. Open up the windows of your condo, your apartment, your project windows, whatever it is, wherever you live. Look out the window and hear the birds chirp. I know there is a perfectly scientific reason for why birds chirp. However, I choose to believe that when they chirp, they are lifting up their voice in adoration to their master they're saying glory and holy and the heavens declare your glory that's what they're saying I believe that I believe that and you know what I believe that Jesus is saying you want to cure your anxiety open up the house open up the windows to your house if you can hear the birds chirp don't let them sing by themselves if you can hear the birds chirp birds birds who don't sow who don't reap, who don't gather into barns. In other words, they don't have a J-O-B. They don't have a way to get income. And yet he says, I feed them. I feed them and they don't work. I feed them and they have an involuntary relationship with me. Birds, if I can feed birds, how much more will I feed you? 
Don't let them sing by themselves. Don't let them sing. Form a duo with the birds. Go ahead and form a trio with the birds. Form a quartet with the birds. And when you sing, sing, why should I feel discouraged? And why should the shadows come? And why should my heart feel lonely and long for heaven and a home? When Jesus is my portion, a constant friend is he. His eye is on the sparrow, and I know he watches over me. But don't stop there, because the songwriter said, I sing because I'm happy, and I sing because I'm free. His eye is on the sparrow, and I know that he watches over me. My God. Whoa. Huh? Some of you ought to sing a song right now. Some of you ought to look at the devil in the face and say, anxiety, I'm going to sleep. Anxiety, I'm putting you to rest. He feeds the birds. And I know that he watches over me. Whoa. Woo. Y'all. My God. Y'all may be seated. Y'all may be seated. I was so tempted to just end it there. (laughs) Have a big old breakout and just end it there. But I'm going to work for my money today. Here, Here it goes. He said, the reason, there's another reason why you shouldn't be anxious. It's because anxiety is worthless. Worry is worthless. Where where, where do I see that? He said, which of you by worrying can add one cubit to his stature? So what he was saying is, there are some things you're worrying about that you can't control. Who can make himself taller or smaller or shorter you know um you can't i mean if worry if worry can add cubit to your stature then i worried a whole lot some of you are laughing but you were easy as sunday morning you you had absolutely no worry in the world what, what was jesus saying Jesus was saying is, all anxiety is, is an emotion. An emotion. But emotions don't fix problems. And emotions don't free people from jail. Emotions don't pay debts and don't, deal, don't heal a dying relative. They don't bring back your loved ones. They don't find jobs for you. That's what Jesus meant when he said, you can't add a cubit to your stature if you worry. In other words, in the great scheme of things, worry doesn't amount to a hill of beans. You can cry all night, but in the morning, the sick will still be sick. The dead will still be dead. Your electricity will still be gone because your light bill was unpaid, because your bank account is still overdrawn. 
Do you really think that if you cried all night that somehow, you know, $300 will appear in your bank account? No, it'll still be overdrawn because you get that new car that you couldn't afford. But that's another message for another day. In other words, anxiety is fruitless. And that's why Charles Spurgeon, some say it was Charles Spurgeon, others say there was a, uh, another lady that, that said this in, I don't know, whoever, whomever. He said, anxiety does not empty tomorrow of its sorrows, but only empties today of its strength. You know what, basically what he was saying is, anxiety doesn't make tomorrow better. It just makes today worse. You know what, you want to know why? Because anxiety doesn't kill the problem, it kills the person. doesn't kill the problem. It kills the person. All right. Jesus got Dr. Phil on you real quick, but here we go. There's no reason why. <clears throat> There's another reason why. He says the reason why you should not worry in this life is because worry, re- worry is a revealer. That's what it is. It reveals your lack of faith in God. You know what worry is? Let me tell you what worry is. Worry is functional atheism. Let that sink in. Worry is functional atheism. Because, where do we see that? We see that in verse 30. If God so clothes the grass of the field which today is and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe ye? And then he says, oh, you of little faith. What did Jesus mean by that? What Jesus meant by that is that's what worry does. Worry reveals that you have a lack of faith in God. You know, it would be a slap to my face if my children ever showed up at home and said, Dad, Dad, what are we going to eat? What are we going to do? What's going to happen tomorrow? Where are we going to live? How are we going to dress? What are we going to do? You know, it would be a slap to my face because all I have to say is look at my track record. Just look at my track record. Have I not been responsible, Father? When have you ever had to, had to ask or beg for food? When have you ever felt like Daddy wasn't home and wasn't providing and wasn't here? I have, I have killed my body in order to live so that you can live. I will do anything in my power so that you feel protected and cared for. And that you're, look at my track record. What you're doing is you are revealing a lack of faith in me as a father you are calling me a deadbeat father when you worry and that's what we do when we come before God and we say Lord what's going to happen in my health in my food, in my this, in my that in my relationships, in my business what's going to happen with me excessive worry reveals a lack of faith in God's providence for you My God, I can go. Listen, he says, and the way he illustrates this is, um, he says, look, just just look at the lilies of the field. They grow. They don't toil nor spin. Yet I say to you that even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. If God clothes the grass of the field, which today is and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you? Oh, ye of little faith. And, and, and I looked at that because he says Solomon was not arrayed like one of these. I mean, lilies. 
who are of, sh- of short span, you know, and they were cut days after they grew. They, they were cut and thrown into the oven as part of the harvest. And he said, those lilies, God arrayed them with so much splendor and color that not even Solomon in all of his glory. So what I did is I went back and I looked at Solomon to see what kind of glory Solomon had. And I read somewhere, uh, uh, where, 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 First Kings ten fourteen. it says that the weight of gold that came to Solomon yearly was 666 talents of gold. I read somewhere that the equivalent of that was about $300 million a year. That was several years back. That would probably be with inflation about a billion dollars now. How much, how, what would you do with a billion dollars a year and yet with all of that glory Solomon could not dress like one of the lilies of the field and God said I will care that much more for you here's another deal and I'm almost done here's another deal the reason you shouldn't worry Jesus says is because what you seek after reveals what you worship therefore do not worry saying what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear watch this for after all these things the Gentiles do what seek the Gentiles seek after these things Gentiles was another word for unbelievers and basically what he was saying at that point is the Gentiles seek things you don't seek things the next verse says seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness they seek things you seek the kingdom And when you seek after things, it reveals who your idols are, what your idols are, who you are truly worshiping. Your anxiety and your worry reveals who you truly worship. And what Jesus was saying is, if you're going to be anxious about something, if you're going to worry about something, then you ought to be worrying about your prayer life. You ought to be worrying about your communication with God. You ought to be worrying about being a godly person and somebody that can that can lend a, a, a hand, a healing hand to a broken heart and those who are poor in this world. You ought to be worrying about those things that have eternal value because what you seek after reveals whom you worship. And then I'm done. These are my two favorite points to all this and they're very close to home. Number one, verse 32. After all these things the Gentiles seek, but your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. Number one is this. Um, Your heavenly Father knows what you need. It ought to cure your anxiety. That God knows what you need. Listen, not what you want, but what you need. I'm going to get really transparent right now. 
really transparent. That every time I do that, I hear I could hear pastors go, "Uh oh, here we go." But I'm going to get really transparent. That's really hard to do. As black as I am, that's really hard to do. (laughs) But I don't think I'll ever be rich in this world. I don't think I'll be, I don't think God will ever allow me to be wealthy in this world. It's not because I don't want it. I ask every day. Every, every, y'all, y'all think I'm playing. I ask every single day. <clears throat> As a matter of fact, my kids and I have a little game, and we've developed it. It's been like two years now. We've developed it where every week, not every day, but every week, there's a fantasy that we started two years ago. We, we live in a fantasy world every night, and we add to the fantasy every day. And so right now, this week, we are living in like Aruba somewhere in a 24-room uh, mansion with a bowling alley in the basement. Bowling alley in the basement. Uh, far from c- civilization, Caleb is in the NBA. Micah has yet decided what he wants to do. And uh, and and they're just and and they're out there. And so um, we have. I, I said because I figured since I'm the adult, perhaps I should incorporate some sort. I was feeling so materialistic, you know, that I said I should probably incorporate some level of like spirituality of some sort into this. I was feeling a little guilty, you know. So I said perhaps we can build a church in our community. Uh, and like we'd be the only members of that church. <laughs> we'd fly like T.D. Jakes in every Sunday or somebody. <clears throat> um, this is the reason why the Lord. I don't think the Lord. Can, I don't think I'd ever be wealthy. <laughs> um, see, I I'm behind this pulpit, and I know. I know that there should be a halo over my head. But if I could open this heart up, the amount of vanity that exists in this heart would absolutely shock you to death. Vanity. If the Lord ever gave me wealth, it would be to my utter destruction. My, I mean, I dress way beyond my budget. Way beyond my budget. Um, and I eat way beyond my budget. And God knows that. If, if God ever gave me wealth, I love you. I, I love you, Pastor. I love the church. I love Life Church and, and your 20 locations that I've visited. I, I love. <laughs> I love you. But if God ever gave me wealth, um, don't invite me. 
because I wouldn't come back. If you want to see me, you can go to Aruba. That's where you'll find me. But if I did accept your invitation, I would be coming in the nicest Ferrari that I could find, and I would not park it anywhere. I'd park it in the foyer. I'd park it right. And I would hire my own mariachi to escort me to this platform in their stretchy pants. I would ask them... I would ask them to escort me here, and furthermore, I would have, I, I'd be dressed in a lime green suit with feathers coming out of my fedora hat and croc skin shoes. Y- y'all think I'm playing. I would. <laughs> and so I've asked the Lord about it. And uh, he said, I don't need pimp preachers. My grace is sufficient. Because God knows what I need. Not what I want, but what I need. There are some people that have been praying for better, give me a better job, give me a better job. And you know that you ought to be content right where you are because the minute that God gives you a better job, you're going to be taking overtime on Sundays. You're going to have a little more money. You, you, you understand what I'm saying? You've been working, you've been praying about this hoopty I have and I can't even. And if you give me a better car, I'm going to be out there bringing saints to the house of God. The devil is a liar. You know beyond the shadow of a doubt that God has you right where you need to be. There are some things you can't pray off yourself. You can't fast off yourself. There are some trials that you can't pray off from you because God said, as long as you're under this trial, I'm going to keep you close to me and over at this altar. Paul, I'm going to keep a thorn in the flesh on you so that you say, by the cross, I know what you need. And lastly, my absolutely favorite point for why you shouldn't be anxious. For all these things the Gentiles seek, but your heavenly Father. I'm done. You missed it. He called them. Father, every time I read that, it it uh, it touches me. It touches me. I I I grew up with a uh, a good father. I don't know what your story is personally, but I grew up with a good father. I can't vouch for him as a man or a businessman or a pastor or a husband, but he was a good father put me and my sisters through school, each of us. Uh, I'd wake up five, six in the morning every single day, and I would hear him cry out to the Lord every single day in the living room. I I tell people, and they don't believe me, that I can count in one hand how many times I came home not to see him either reading the word or on his knees praying. And that's the kind of example I had. I had a good, good father. 
good father. Uh, when, when God said, your heavenly father knows what you have need of, I understand what he means by that. I know what the love of a father is. See, now I am entrusted with two beautiful boys. And I've got to show them love. And I love my boys. I love my boys beyond measure. I know what I'm willing to do for my boys. And so when he says, your heavenly father, what he was telling me is, you shouldn't be anxious. Because you are not an orphan. have a heavenly father that ministers to you. You have not received the spirit of fear, but of adoption, whereby you call him Abba, father. That is daddy in Aramaic. Abba is daddy. Daddy, father. See, there's a whole lot of fathers. There's not a whole lot of daddies. And he said, but I'm daddy and father. So I, I know what that means. And you being evil, give good, good gifts to your children. How much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to them who ask it? He's a Father. I end, I end, I end with this. I end with this story. I end with this story. I grew up in the, the Boogie Down Bronx, New York City. And uh, I grew up in a neighborhood. I, I didn't just grow up in the Bronx. I grew up in the South Bronx. I grew up in a neighborhood. I didn't have to leave my own building to find whatever evil I wanted. You name it, it was in my own building. First floor, drugs. Second floor, prostitution. If we saw you coming out of an apartment in the first floor and that wasn't your floor, you know, that's not where you lived. You were a crackhead. And if your wife saw you coming out of a second floor apartment, she knew exactly what you were doing. You weren't borrowing sugar, that's for sure. You didn't have to leave my building to find evil. My whole community was drug-infested, gang-infested violence. The South Bronx. It's where hip-hop was born. Let me just give you a little context so that you understand. It's where hip-hop was born, rap, you know, that, that kind of music, in that culture. Breakdancing. We're known for breakdancing. That's, that's where it all was born uh, back in the 80s. Yo mama jokes. That's where all was. Uh, don't, don't ever challenge me to yo mama jokes because <laughs> don't, don't step up. I'm telling you now. Um, a graffiti. I, I mean, I can go on. The, the deal is this. That's the kind of community I grew up in. I would play basketball every single day after school. And so we would play in the courts right in front. It was right behind my uh, elementary school, and it was right in front of my building. The, the courts were surrounded by high-rise buildings. And I would play there every day with, with several friends, you know, right after school, and then uh, we'd go home. Um, 
on this particular day, all of my friends just suddenly, they just left. They didn't want to play anymore. So I was addicted to the sport. And, uh, and I, I wanted to play. Uh, so I was about 13, maybe 14. I wanted to play some more. So I just stayed out there. And then I realized why they had left. Because suddenly about a group of 15 to 20 guys, uh, older than they weren't that old. You know, they seemed like they were older back then, but maybe 16, 17-year-olds. They came to the park. They were about 15 to 20 strong. And uh, I didn't know it at the time. I was pretty friendly, but um, I figured it out. That this was no, this was not just any, you know, crew. This was like a neighboring gang that had come into the neighborhood. And it seemed like it was initiation day because suddenly they all started picking on me. You know, they wanted to play at first, but they all started being uh, uh, pretty harsh. And um, I felt like, what what's going on? They, you know, and uh, calling me names and and cussing me out and, and stuff of that nature. So finally, I uh, I got a little fed up with it, and um, when I did so. They acted violently towards me. Now, let's pause there. There was a lady on the sixth floor of my apartment, and she would, she was like the lookout. The, the drug dealers in my neighborhood would, would give her money, so she would be the lookout for them when cops were coming. And she would give the sign whenever cops were coming into the neighborhood because she had a corner apartment, so she could see out of you know, both both sides of the window so she could see into all the intersections and she had a vision and she neither slept nor slumbered. She was out of that window. It didn't matter what time of the day she was out looking through that window and I don't think she even used the restroom. I've never seen her leave. Because if you got there at 3 in the morning, she was there. She was there. And we always thought, like, does she have buckets around the... Yeah, I don't know about that. So she was, you know, she's on the lookout. She would be responsible for making the South Bronx in less than 20 seconds. Whenever a cop was coming, she'd give the signal out. And in less than 20 seconds, the South Bronx would turn into Malibu in less than 20 seconds. They just scatter into, I mean, drug dealers and, and they just scatter and hide it would you know it when she gave the little whistle everyone just and everything was peachy and uh almost like when you go into your home and the roaches kind of (laughs) don't laugh too hard because you'll reveal some things about you (laughs) so we hated this woman as kids Because she was in everybody's business, not only was she looking out for cops, she was looking out for, I mean, she knew everybody's name, she knew everybody's routine, she knew what time you went to sleep, put your kids to bed, what time you showered, what time this, who fought whom, she knew, she knew everything, she knew everybody's name, and we hated her because she would tell on us. 
So when your parents were walking down the block to get into there, she would, you know, scream out to them and say, such and such was doing such and such a thing about three blocks away about this time of the day. She knew everything about you, what time your husband went to work, what time your lover came in. She knew everything about you. And, And we hated her. On this day, particular day, I love this woman. Because, coming back to the park, I was out there, we were playing, and the gang decided that they were going to get a little vicious on me. So I grabbed my ball and I grabbed my backpack and I was ready to go home. They wouldn't let me go. They surrounded me. And they also, they went, they all went to the gates and picked up stuff I had never seen in my life. I was about a 13-year-old kid or so. It didn't, it didn't look like, you know, I was, I was eight feet, but it didn't, but, you know, I was 13. And I saw stuff come out of their bags and stuff I had never seen in my life, brass knuckles and uh, uh, clubs and sticks and knives. And I knew beyond the shadow of a doubt on that day that I was going to die. I knew it because, you know, in the ghetto you have a, uh, you have a rule. You see no evil. You hear no evil. If you're a rat, you're going to get killed, basically. And so I knew that no one was going to come to my rescue. And I looked around every single building. It seemed like life was was happening in slow motion at that moment. And I looked around, and there were people looking out the window. There were people by the gate, and everybody could see me, but no one was doing anything seemed like they were more entertained by what was going on than anything. And I remember looking around and I thought to myself, I'm going to be killed. I'm going to get killed on this day. And all I could think of was just find the smallest member of this gang. Because if I'm going to die, I'm not going by myself. I'm going to kill somebody in the process. So find the smallest guy that you can kill in Jesus' name. Um, this lady saw me and coincidentally my father who was bivocational he was a, a pastor but also a, uh, an auto mechanic by trade he didn't go into the shop on that day and he didn't go to church to the church office for some odd reason on that particular day he was standing outside of the building and they were working on an, uh, a car engine. They were exchanging the car engine and he wasn't by himself. He had some friends with him from the shop and from the church, some some couple from the church. And they were all out there. They were like, you know, fellowshipping and whatnot out there and, and, and doing this thing. And when I say he had friends, I mean he, there was some big boys in that crowd some big boy there there was one of them at least that could eat at least five of these kids by himself with a little tapatio he he could go to work so she screamed out to my dad my dad didn't know what was going on And, and then later i heard this she screamed out to my dad and said your son is about to get killed My dad 
he heard this. And I remember I was standing around. I had the ball in my hand. I had the backpack. I, I had to drop. I dropped both because, you know, I didn't know what, what was happening. I, I, I didn't know what to do, whether to run, whether to fight, whether to scream. I didn't know what to do. I, 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 was, I was still in shock. And I'm looking around, and they're taunting me, and, and they're screaming, and they're chanting, and they're doing all sorts of stuff. But out of nowhere, all of a sudden, I heard this. I knew that whistle. That's the whistle I heard at Walmart when I was in aisle six. <laughs> and my dad was in aisle one or checking out. And in less than 10 seconds after I heard that whistle, I was, hey, dad, what's going on? Oh, we're leaving? Okay, okay. That's, that, that was my daddy's whistle. And I remember looking back. And when I looked back, my father didn't even have the sense to go through the park gate or through the park door. He was climbing the fence, climbing the gate. And, when, you know, if you ever go to New York and you see these courts, they have these huge old, you know, gates. He was climbing the gate. All I could see is this man, and he didn't care if they had, you know, uh, you know, uh, blow torches or whatever they pulled out. <laughs> It seemed like a Street Fighter game, like Ooga Flame. It just, I, I don't know where they got all this stuff from. He was climbing that gate, and he had a little screwdriver in his hand, but he was going to screwdrive somebody to death. As I looked over, and your man was coming, and he was coming hard. I looked at his face. It looked like a pit bull on cocaine. He was coming, and he was, and he had some friends with him. You know, they went through the door because, you know, I wasn't their son. But, <laughs> but, but he was coming, and I saw his other friends, and they were coming, and some of these cats weren't saved, you know. And they were coming, and the stuff was coming out their mouth, and I said, oh, Lord, something's about to happen right now. And all of a sudden, it's as though, you know, I was retreating and I, everything was like in slow motion. When I heard this whistle, it was like a glass of cold water in a desert somewhere. All of a sudden, I got this courage out of nowhere. Remember, I dropped the ball. I dropped my backpack and I went, what up now, y'all? What up? Come on. You want some of me? Come on. Because daddy was coming. And it's as though I almost heard somebody tell me at that present time, Luami Diaz, you shouldn't worry. Why? Because you are not an orphan. You have a father. That when every other friend turns their back and goes away from danger, you have a father. You have a father. 
When everybody else says, we are, you know, we're your friends when everything is all right. But as soon as that danger comes along, we're going to give up and we're going to give you our backs and we're going to run away. You have a father that is willing to die for you. You have a father who is willing to do anything in his power to come after his son. You have a loving Abba. You have a loving daddy who says, ah, that's my son. That is, that is the sparkle in my eye. That is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. You have a father. And I'm telling you, the Holy Ghost brought me here. I know you've been worrying about life and school and business and family and your future. You've been worried about health. And you've been worried about court appearances. And you've been worried about stuff that has been happening and abuse. But the Lord brought me here today. To just give you this one thing, just this one thing, if you can remember it. You're not by yourself. You're not left to your own devices and to your enemies. I'm telling you, there is a father who is climbing the gate even now. There is a father who is saying, vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. I will repay. There is a father even now who is saying, I am the good shepherd. And the good shepherd will lay his life for his sheep. That's what I'll do. There is a father who is fighting devils on your behalf. There is a father who says, I'll never leave you nor forsake you. There is a father who says, when father and mother, when they leave, when they forsake you, your father, he will adopt you as your own son. He's a father to the fatherless. He is a father to the fatherless. It is a heavenly father who hasn't left your son side. Would you lift your hands all over this building right now? Would you lift your hands all over? Daddy? Daddy will never leave you nor forsake you. So do not worry about what you will eat or what you will drink or what you will wear about tomorrow for your heavenly father knows that you have need of all of these things I want to open up this altar right now and I wonder all over this building if there are some people right now that you would cast your cares upon him for he will care for you I'm praying against the spirit of anxiety and panic and anxiety attacks I'm praying against the spirit of excessive worry. I am praying against that spirit that holds you captive at night and won't let you sleep. I'm praying against that spirit. I'm praying against the spirit of stress, stressing over life and stressing over future and stressing over businesses. I'm telling you, there is a liberating power of the Holy Ghost right here right now who is trying to comfort your spirit and your soul and he is telling you, I am dead. 
never leave you nor forsake you. I will love you to no end. Death could not separate you. Death could not separate you from my grip. That's how much I love you. Will you not? Will you not give thanks even in this thing? For this is the will of God concerning you in Christ Jesus. This is the will of God concerning you. This altar is open. You can find a place where you can come before the Lord and say, I'm going to cast my cares upon you.